What is up, asymmetry? Hey, 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 hey. Oh, man. The beautiful part of January at Mirai is all of the incredibly talented artists making all of those vessels that define what we do as bonsai send them to us. And on the uh, eve of receiving our most recent Tom Benda shipment, we sat down to talk with the master himself uh, about the firing, about life, about um, you know creativity, concepts of design, the ceramic process, bonsai, you know, the whole works. Like uh, Tom, such a wonderful soul, very close to Mariah in terms of our work together, uh, etc. And uh, I get a lot out of every time I talk with this uh, gentleman. Uh, fantastic conversation. Cannot wait to see what he has created for the world to appreciate. And uh, this podcast goes hand in hand, just sharing a wonderful human being with you all. Enjoy. Awesome. Awesome. Tom, what's up, my friend? All's fine. I'm here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was a bit nervous, but I had a little cigarette. I'm fine. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, you're looking sharp, dude. It's so good to see you. I miss you. Yeah, I miss you so much, bro. Yeah, yeah. How you been? Are you uh, are you uh, on the up and up now? Yeah, I hope so. I'm up again. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, this third time COVID I had, uh, it was quite fine. It was like very mild, lower than medium version of it. And uh, the harsh days were just like two days of it but right. then i had this period of three weeks of like no energy like really not just mentally mentally i think i was i was just fine but uh physically i couldn't do anything just oh interesting some wow. days just like two or three days of something even packing the big pack for you normally i do it easier in one day but now i was working four days on it wow and it was just uh, packing you know holding particular pots one at a time and the rest was polystyrene <laughs> but uh -huh. still being up on my feet for two or three hours it was slow two three hours and i was done no just, kidding for like the rest of the day done yeah Wow. Wow. And so are you feeling stronger again now or are you still feeling pretty yeah, the, low energy? Uh, I'm, I think uh, I'm like nearly 90% energy now. Oh, nice. Nice. And it, and it just changed uh, the day when I had uh, to bring this heavy spec ever out of the studio to my Did car. Did you have to carry it by yourself? uh with my mother's boyfriend uh, uh -huh. he helped me with the last three or four packs already wow wow but it was the heaviest ever yeah so i'm pretty sure the shipment is arriving today yeah i took a look uh today uh the schedule i think it changed i was also sure it it had to come today right the 26th but maybe yeah. it uh, changed uh a little bit in this uh, it was somewhere online uh, uh, so it could change and I saw uh, it was sitting for three days in Belgium mm. 
mm-hmm. and it's supposed to uh, it has it 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 was supposed to leave Belgium for Heathrow and from Heathrow it was supposed to lead to LA I think today and from LA oh, okay so it, it'll be a day delay that's not a big deal yeah I yeah. saw I saw it should be uh, on Friday in Portland and even uh, the customs are scheduled for Friday but late late evening right uh, okay Okay, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I can hardly stand it. <laughs> I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. I know this was a challenging. Mm. I know this was a challenging one for you, but uh, but the treat the the or the pots just look magnificent. Your new ideas, the evolution of your ideas, uh, r- really a lot of new fresh concepts in this in this box. I think they are. They are. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm really really happy about them and. Especially, I'm really looking forward so much to uh, to have time and chance to evolve these, or not just evolve, but just practice them. You know, it's uh-huh. it's important to my attitude that I I get the confidence about each particular design. But in last few years, uh, my creativity was maybe faster than my hands that uh, I introduced many new designs and I didn't have enough time to practice them enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's that's something what I'm really looking for, forward now uh, to practice the new designs and, and find the right balance and quality in it. How how do you know when you're when you're breaking into new territory like this? How do you know when you've like maximized or found that balance that you just talked about? Like, what what tells you that you're there at that point with a, a design that you've come up with? Uh, mostly, it's based on the instinct I have to say. But of course, there is a part that is uh, conscious <laughs> as well. But uh, yeah. I think I turned a lot from a very conscious and precise and technical guy to uh, someone who's based on the feelings and instincts in uh, in this new career of my life. You know, I, I'm a potter for ten years, and before that, I think I was I was someone else, so some different person. <laughs> mm. hmm. Yeah, and we and we've talked about that though that full kind of transition and what it looked like for you to kind of dig into ceramics. Mm. And when you were here last time, we were talking about the fact that you were building a new studio, you were kind of looking mm. at a new kiln, like you had ideas of how to improve the firing process. Mm. Did did the pandemic kind of press pause on all that, or have you been moving forward? Like, where are you at with the new studio and stuff? Um, uh, this process was paused uh, just because of. Uh, Let's say Every, our government. Everything. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, a lot of uh, law changed around this process, and uh, also the clerics changed. They they changed several times through the process of my own paperwork. It's uh-huh. taken uh, more than a year now, almost two years, just the paperwork. And you know, you come back, and there is another new clerk, not the one you've met there a few months ago. And this new one uh, just has 
another point of view to the thing. So he says, I want you to change this. I want you to bring me this, uh, another paper. And, but now uh, we should be, we should, we should get the permission very, very soon. Uh, oh, that, that, nice. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to start the, uh, building of my life, the new studio, because, uh, I feel more and more that I really need it so much. I, I can't continue without it. Uh, yeah. if I continue in the conditions I have, I, I will get crazy soon and maybe physically not healthy anymore because the firing my kiln outside in winter, that's, that's just, that's just mental. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah because it's so cold and because you're up for so long like just all of the factors that go into a firing yeah exactly you can you can handle it with one firing but in a few days you do another you can also handle the second one but uh, with the third one you definitely feel it every mm -hmm. in in the last inch of your body and uh when i had to fight even the fourth firing, I usually started it having fever already and stuff like that. But I remember doing that usually before the trophy. It used to be like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that uh, I just almost killed myself uh, at the kiln and still had to drive to Belgium and stand being there the whole weekend up on my feet. And yeah. That, I remember coming back from the trophy after this <laughs> and uh, yeah, having to have to rest for a week or two even. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how, how much, how many firings a year do you do? Is it, is it the sort of this bit when you, you make a, do you make a body of work in a year and then you fire it all at the end of the year? Is that kind of how you tend to handle it? Uh, I do around 10 or 12 kilns per year. So it sounds like something like a kiln per month, but I don't fire every month. Mm -hmm. I work on a larger bunch of pots. Uh, this is based uh, mostly on uh, waiting for the larger pots to dry enough. Mm -hmm. So I start building the largest pots and then I go smaller, smaller, smaller. And once the big pots are dry enough, I fire three or four kilns uh, in a row. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And how many pots make it into a kiln? Like, because uh, I know your kiln has also been something that you, you're excited to rebuild a new kiln. You yeah. have an uh, affection for this kiln, but it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of at, at the end of its life, right? Uh, end of its life. I think I will. I will come back to it in think summer, so. in summer, yeah. and maybe I will just fire the new kiln in winter or something. Uh -huh. But the new kiln is also going to be larger than this current one, and uh, so maybe, maybe I will have to say goodbye to the old kiln. And but I will never break it in pieces. It will always stand there as a memorial or something <laughs> yeah right right well yeah it's your first i mean it's kind of your first it's what got tom benda put you on the map your work in that kiln that's a beautiful collaboration
But isn't it structurally challenged? Didn't you say that you've had some moments where it's kind of uh, collapsed or I'm working on uh, the Juniper and Cindy Crawford right now. And the little oh. beauty mark on Cindy Crawford sort of started me thinking about this. Um, I, but but is it structurally sound? Is everything fine? Yeah, everything is fine. Uh, you know, the materials uh, used uh, there, uh, they can stand crazy, crazy temperatures. But mm. with this uh, firing, with this particular one where there was Cindy, which got its name after the firing because of the firing, <laughs> marking it with this uh, uh, beauty spot. Yeah, said? beauty mark. Yeah. Beauty, beauty mark. mark. Yeah. Well, kiss of the kiln. Yeah. Uh, that there was. It was just one. Uh, how to call it? It was a support uh, I use in between the shelves, and one of them collapsed. So uh, half of the kiln collapsed then. Jeez, jeez. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a thing that costs you one dollar or something, but you can lose thousands for it. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. The yeah. unpredictability of uh, of the firing process. Now, do you bisque? Do you bisque fire uh, your pots before you put them in? Yeah, uh, every bunch of pots uh, that goes into several kilns later it usually gives me one full kiln for bisque firing and glazing then mm -hmm. and so and, and then your... i split this uh, to the final firings later so each of the kiln has a few of uh, glazed pots then uh-huh uh-huh it also uh, uh depends or depends it's uh, based on uh the attitude to loading my kiln, each area has uh, specific conditions which have to be reflected with the body size, uh, clay quality or clay type. And mm -hmm. even the glazes, you have to always know where the pot is going when you're glazing the pot. Like, I want to have this glaze on it, this green one, but I need to load it to a different part of the kiln and I can't afford uh, glazing it this particular green. So I have to think about another glaze then or, or wait for another firing and use it in the specific place. And it's always crazy job to load the uh, wood fight kiln, I think. Now, as you evolve the shape of your containers and you continue to work on the form, are you also evolving clays or, or uh, glazes? Are you continuing to mix glazes and experiment, or like where, where, how does that work into your creative evolution? Yeah, I do evolve glazes. I I like it a lot, but uh, I don't do it uh, on such a scale as other potters do. Especially Horst Hansleiter, who's I think the greatest glaze guy around. That's something unbelievable the the job he does in glazes. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm quite a pathetic <laughs> guy in glazing, I think. But uh, you know, still people don't take it like that because uh, it's wood fired glazes and it's a bit different. And uh, what can I say to it? Uh, I I'm uh, 
I'm still on the alchemy side, not the chemistry side. Uh, mm. I, I just do try and error. Uh, I always have some new ideas, uh, so I'm always looking forward to the next firing so I can test these new ideas. Sometimes they work immediately, sometimes not. And yeah. Now I'm particularly happy with uh, one uh, yellow glaze that I'm evolving for years. Really, uh, I don't know if it's five or six years. And mm. now I'm quite satisfied that I got to uh, uh, to uh, quite a reliable version of this glaze now. And, and, and I this like... Is, this is the clay body that you put it on and then the location in the kiln. And then are you continuing to play with the chemistry of the glaze as well? Yeah. Yeah, huh. that, that, that's there in the process as well. Uh, but you can also uh, you can also uh, uh, how to say this uh, if the clay body is affecting your glaze and you don't like it, you can uh, you can put something in the middle <laughs> as well. Right. Uh, so there were uh, clay bodies that didn't work well with the glazes I already knew and loved. Uh, so I made a wash. Of the clay where where it worked for example some white clay and it worked so i made a wash of this uh, white clay and i used it as a medium uh, on the surface of the different clay body mm -hmm. so in fact i made it the clay body that i was used to it's not that uh, uh, difficult and uh, i'm happy yeah. to come with this idea and it and that it worked in the end so yeah that's interesting just ways to get what you want and then as far as evolving your clay body and you know, we've talked so much about your process and the forms that you're creating and the evolution of that but i started thinking it how, how do you find a clay body as a ceramicist and do you continue to look for new clay bodies and if you do continue to look for new clay bodies where where does a ceramicist look for a new clay body? like where do you go find that information hmm. uh, you just have to buy a sample of it and try it uh, or that's how i do it and i will always do it because uh, okay you get some information about the clay uh, like the top temperature and elasticity and stuff like that but uh, as i already said that uh, now i'm more about feelings and instincts uh, the same goes uh, with bringing the new clay bodies i need to touch it i need mm -hmm. my hands to understand it i need to i need my eyes to see what's happening to the clay when i'm pushing it or something mm -hmm. and uh, i will i will always do it like this uh, so do you understand the clay's limitation when you touch it yeah think i can understand it even with the first touch but uh -huh. maybe uh maybe uh that's too optimistic uh that the first firing always shows where's the truth and uh, mm -hmm. yeah i, I tried uh, some new clay bodies uh, i think there are like three or four pots made of a new clay in this uh, shipment uh 
that was nice working with this new one. I liked it from the first moment. The results are not bad, but uh, it doesn't fit uh, well the conditions in my kiln. I can use it just uh, in a small area and it will not allow me to make uh, pots larger than a feet or uh, 30 centimeters, you know, something. Mm. just these sizes. It's not bad clay, but uh, I think I will never buy it again. And with the next uh, batch of clay I'm going to buy soon, uh, I will again try some new ones. Yeah. But the future of the clay uh, in my career, uh, it will it will start with a new studio because I will have enough space to buy me a mixing machine. Uh -huh. And uh, I'm, I'm going to mix uh, my own clays for sure. Oh, nice. Nice. I will use uh, the clays that I know. Uh, so I will go uh, mostly for the color of the unglazed body. Uh, but... Uh, I will also try to bring some better uh, 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 features to to clays that I didn't like so well previously. I just improve uh, some of the features. I, I think I will I will go for this as well. But with the with with these clays that will be in the beginning of this whole uh, new process new future of the bodies uh, i i will i will have a good start because i will start with the clays that i already know well and i've been mixing them already just with my hands which is really crazy long-term thing which will never pay off but you know sometimes i had to try it will this clay look better if i mix it with 30% of this or that, I sometimes I do this. I'm just yeah, too curious. It's a, it's a lot to document. Now, do you keep all of this in your mind? Like as you tweak the glazes and the locations in the kiln and the percentages of clay that you're mixing, is this all in your head or do you write this down? How do you keep track of it all? Yeah, I still keep track of it all in my head, but I do take some notes. Mm -hmm. Uh What's funny that the notes about uh, about the glazes are written in a specific language, <laughs> secret language, right? Uh, and I use uh, Japanese alphabet to write it down, but it's not Japanese language, and <laughs> it's kind kind of funny. Notes. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> it's like a mi Middle Earth bringing Middle Earth to the ceramic realm. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> That's then cool. I also take some notes about the firing processes. And uh, sometimes they are really helpful, but uh, I can take a look back in some older firings that I remember and see what was going on there. And it helped me uh, a lot uh, recently uh, when I needed to track the uh problems I had with the second firing, especially the second uh, one pot also broke in the first but uh, so it helped me a lot. Uh, I, I could better 
read the data I uh, got with these broken ports and uh, I found out where was the problem and with the third firing I just uh, saw that I learned something new so mm -hmm. was it location based was it temperature based was it clay body based like what what ha like when a when a when a pot doesn't survive a firing after you've had so much success what what goes wrong what happens then yeah in the cracks i could uh, find out uh, it took me just a few minutes to realize that it must have been something uh, in the process of cooling that these cracks appeared just after the top temperature or not before but after so uh, i had to focus on the cooling process and yeah read the data of this part of firing and compare it with the older ones and i realized that all my life i was just running at almost the top speed of cooling mm -hmm. and uh, i didn't know that and now uh, the cooling process uh, was just a few percent quicker thanks to uh, the high moisture in the air and little colder temperature normally it will not affect you because you know for for the kiln where there's more than a thousand degrees it doesn't make uh, much of a difference if uh, there's plus 10 or minus 10 degrees right. outside right but in my case it was a difference because i was too close to the top speed mm -hmm. of uh, of cooling that was the so, problem but but when you when you reach that top temperature obviously there's different ways i'm assuming to handle the kiln and the cool down process but do you pretty much close up the kiln and try to retain that heat and let it slowly dissipate or do you have control of the rate and you're saying you needed to slow down the rate. Yeah, I I usually closed the kiln. Uh-huh. And in the morning when I opened it, I it used to be all fine. <laughs> right. And, uh, now I just need to uh fire a little longer. Uh. Yeah, watch watch uh one or two hours more uh after the top temperature. Uh-huh. Uh, so you have to continue to to keep the fire going for a bit longer, yeah. not as hot, and just sort of, wow, interesting. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I, basically, I brought some more wood into the fireplace uh, so it could uh, stand there a little longer mm -hmm. and uh, slow down the mm -hmm. cooling process. And is so some that of that? Is some of that the kiln evolving too? Like, is your kiln, is the manner in which it's behaving evolving? Is it loosening up? Is it, you know, how does that happen for a kiln? Uh, I can I can speak just about my kiln, not very theoretically about uh, this, about all kilns, but my kiln, I think it doesn't evolve, just the relation to my kiln evolves and, uh, or, or the knowledge about Michael evolves, and uh, uh, that there's one material that can uh, degrade with time, but I've checked it and it doesn't. There, there, there's not a problem with that. Uh, 
and if it was it was not a big problem so uh yeah i can say that my kiln is almost like new mm. uh, there is mm-hmm. nothing changed much hmm. yeah interesting Man, it's so it's so rich. It's so rich. I I just it's it's one of the most romantic aspects. I was talking. I talked to um, Andrew Robson, who grows a lot of deciduous trees, last night mm-hmm. on the podcast, and um, and he was talking about you know the the ceramic vessel in relation to deciduous, and and we were talking about can you ever escape sort of the ceramic vessel or whatnot. But one of the magical things I think about. Uh, the wood firing process is in a singular pot. You have like three or four different options of how the glaze and the fire and the color or the lack, you know, and the way that everything changes. You, it's so accommodating of a large swath of trees in the wood firing process with that variation, but it's, it certainly can come back and bite you a little bit too, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfectly sure if i understood understood well uh now uh but when you mentioned so many aspects uh that i i immediately thought about the uh, firing process again that there are so many things that i understand already but also some things that i don't understand but the most important is that there are too many that predict it or trying to like handle it somehow mm-hmm. is I just I can't say that I give up <laughs> or that I gave up the thinking about it I always think about it and and still learning and improving it but I believe there is still something uh, that that will make uh, wood firing process unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uncontrollable, huh? Uncontrollable, yeah. And so are you having... Romantic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Are you having a colder than normal winter? Mm. Uh, in terms of a uh, few last winters, this is a colder one, but in my life I remember much colder winters, mm-hmm. especially by the age of 10 or something like that like 30 years ago it was a difference uh, we used to have nice winters really lots of snow but this this winter is really nice one i like it it's a lot of snow almost all the time we almost uh, lost all the snow like two days ago but now there is 15 centimeter again and oh no kidding Ooh, yeah. that sounds nice so i could <laughs> I can enjoy my Subaru. That, that's that's why I had to post uh, the Instagram post uh, last week when I was loading the uh, big pack for you because uh, my car really helped me so much. And uh, without it, I would not be able to bring the pack up on the hill from the studio. And uh, once we loaded it from my car, to the van that came for the pack, uh, I I I felt so well. You know, it was still uh, like ten in the morning. Beautiful sun, snow everywhere, and my Subaru just proved it's the most wonderful car in the world again. <laughs> so I went 
so I went for a ride and uh, I wanted to take some few pictures in this beautiful environment of this weather and and the meadows and forests around me. I came back and I realized I took no photos. <laughs> so <laughs> I took a second ride <laughs> again and I came you back. You just enjoyed yourself? You were just out free riding in the snow? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a beautiful... I just looked at your Instagram. It's stunning. Yeah, stunning. There, there's a meadow like two kilometers from my place, and sometimes I go get wild a bit there. I love you got it. a sexy blue Subaru, man. That's a beautiful car. When you were here, I forgot about that. You are a Subaru, like passionate about Subarus. Yeah. Ah, this is this is great. This is great. And what do yeah. you do with your trees during the winter? Do you leave them outside? Yeah. Yeah. I have to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't, yeah, there's no, no place to go with them. Mm. I have uh, just a little shelter for a Mediterranean oak. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's Quercus faginea or something, it, but it has some beautiful genes, genetics, and uh, yeah, and some few Cusamonos I keep uh, in a special shelter, but all, all my trees are outside. Do you do a lot of kusamono? Do you enjoy kusamono? Yeah, a lot, a lot. I I used to collect uh, a lot of perennials. Like uh, I got lots of hostas from a good guy here in Austria, Wolfgang Kuputz. Mm-hmm. There, there were times that many uh, people knew his name, and especially for these uh, wonderful kusamonos he had and. Uh, I don't know how many sorts of hostas he has, but uh, he brought me a box with 24 different varieties. And uh, I also fell in love with the Japanese saxifragas. And uh, and yeah, I sometimes, you know, you have a walk in, uh, in a forest and you stumble upon some weed or something and you just bring it back home because you like it and you try to use it for a kusamono or Sometimes uh, I bring a nice perennial plant from a trip just as a souvenir, you know, mm-hmm. souvenir that stays with me maybe forever. Or <laughs> uh, This is what I like to do. And I also used to bring uh, big stones for my trips and make yeah. them a part of the stone wall behind my house. That's also a hobby of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We did some stone work when you were here with us. Uh, yeah, I saw it, but uh, we didn't get to touch it together. I, yeah, I know. Well, you were you yeah, were, we were super so tired. You were yeah, you were yeah. super fatigued. It was the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty epic. Next time you come, we gotta go to Yosemite. Yeah, that, that yeah. would be something. I think but I really suppose sh- I I will not bring a stone from it to to my garden. You might not make it back to the check. They might put you in jail for that one. That's so weird. I really find that to be a weird aspect. I understand why they do it in the national parks, but uh but it yeah. is kind of it it is a pretty intense policy. Mm. To be sure. Whatever happened to Wolfgang von Putz? Because I used to see his work on the internet and I saw a lot of the bonsai work that mm-hmm. he did. And of, of course his garden was beautiful. His kusimono were yeah. phenomenal. And and then and then uh I just stopped seeing anything about him. 
I don't know, maybe he didn't get used to the new media where all these online bonsai world moved to. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, we used to see him on the old IBC forum. And, uh, you know, it, I'm okay, I, I, I hope no one will blame me for this when I say that I think it died off a bit. I, I know it's not that uh, completely that uh, this uh, old forum is still there, but uh, just a lot of people moved out of it. And uh, now it's all going on uh, Facebook and Instagram and maybe Wolfgang just didn't switch. Yeah, so interesting. He's still doing it, you think? He's still working on his trees and his Kusumono? Yeah, and... yeah, yeah, he does. Uh Recently, I got an uh, email from Wolfie. We still stay in contact, but we didn't see each other live like three or four years now. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to meet him again personally and uh, talk about our passions again. Yeah, yeah. I miss. Uh, I really miss seeing his work. There's. It's interesting over the course of time, you know, as I've been doing bonsai because I started when I was. Uh, you know, a long time ago when I was 12, mm. seeing all of the artists that have kind of come and been and been influential and then gone, you know, and, and, and it's like, man, where does everybody go? What happens? But bonsai is this kind of ebb and flow as a, mm. as a pursuit to stay involved with bonsai and to stay involved with the ceramic side of bonsai or the stand making side of bonsai or the collecting side. It's, um, it is a very interesting narrative arc that everybody takes. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, it's not for the faint of heart to to mm-hmm. pursue bonsai, and it is a very big commitment in life to pursue bonsai. I think yeah. definitely is. Uh, you know, sometimes I also don't feel like posting something on uh, on the web, and uh, I would like be not contacted and just silently work in, mm-hmm. in the studio and i can say i i like closed myself a little bit from from the world the in last years i used to uh, share more but you know i love doing bonsai and doing pottery and not so much of writing about it and i don't know maybe maybe this is also a point of view that uh, you don't see any uh, some of the people around uh, anymore but they are still there just you don't know about them anymore yeah, yeah. There, there, there is a name uh, i would like to see something new about him and uh, uh, i remember him just from the old ibc forum and i fell in love with with his creations it's nick lentz I I would like to see something from him. Maybe it's just my fault that I don't Google enough or something about him. Maybe I just should do it and maybe I get uh, some news about him. But yeah, that's one of the names that I'm missing. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think there, I think there you have like a really interesting narrative arc uh, of an individual. I mean, Nick was such a such a cutting-edge bonsai artist. I think he was a true bonsai artist. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and they just did a, I think they did just did a commemorative show of his work at the National Arboretum in Washington, uh-huh. D.C., maybe last year or maybe even a year, uh, no, it'd probably be 2019 mm-hmm. that they did that. Um, and I don't know how long it's been since Nick has produced uh, a new tree or new trees because I know that he had let go of his, almost his entire collection and a lot uh-huh. of it exists. There's some at uh, Pacific Boneside Museum up in, outside of Seattle. There's mm-hmm. a lot of of Nick's work in the Montreal Botanical uh, Boneside Collection, but his trees. When you see a Nick Lenz tree, it stands apart. Even even you know several years after he's had his hands on it, it his work was very powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I had such a great feelings from uh, watching his uh, creations. That they, they were so true, like uh, this recreating nature in this small scale done by him it was one of the top i remember from the period of time uh, yeah I, I agree i i i don't know much about art I, I i can't talk about art but as as i feel it or as i get it what's art i remember myself from those days saying this guy must be true artist because uh recreating it so truly like he did uh, that that really needs this specific type of soul. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. That's really interesting that he resonated so significantly with you. Because I think like when most people think about Nick Lenz, they think about the audacious compositions, you know, where he would grow, um, you know, a forest and have a tank in the forest, like running over trees or or grow a composition over a a statue or a, you know, a a, a skeleton, you know, a skull or something like that, really dramatic Uh um, work. But what you're saying inspired you about Nick Lenz was how well he was able to execute nature in miniature. Yeah. And the same thing uh, should be mentioned uh, about these creations that involved this tank or uh, the Barbie-like statue and stuff like that, because... uh, they they were not the, these uh, features were like not interfering much they were not popping out so loudly they they were like really natural uh part of the whole composition i remember mm. i remember well the uh, forest with the tank there and uh you know uh, sometimes you took a look at the forest and you even didn't see the tank there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh you know i i love uh, this uh feeling when you when you go through uh, some forest and you stumble upon a, a scenario scenario like that 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 you see a tree growing from the middle of an old truck or something you, yeah it happened to me and i i've also seen uh, some bushes or even small trees growing on top of statues as well and uh but mostly the way he executed this that was just amazing i i i remember that feeling how could he do it so well that it's not shouting loud that it's just a natural part of the composition i i i still I'm amazed about with this. Yeah, but, wow. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look at that. Look at his work again from this perspective. I I completely and totally agree with you, though. He did. Um, 
he did a, a couple vertical blue rug junipers. And blue rug juniper is like a low-growing, creeping juniper uh-huh. species. Uh-huh. And he grew them upright, stake trained for, for a very prolonged period of time. And I remember seeing he put one of them in sort of a, a wide, flat-rimmed, real shallow container, and it was this upright tree. And I'd never seen a truer representation of of what appeared to me to be a, a, an alpine Sierra juniper, like in its true full form, mm-hmm. and the scale of the blue rug juniper creating just the perfect proportion. It was, it was very moving, and I just thought, wow, Nick mm-hmm. Lenz, this, this... It's not that other people haven't created that kind of powerful work, but the prolific nature of Nick Lenz as an artist, too, is something that I very much respect. He made a lot of great trees. He mm. made a lot of great trees. He didn't mm. make... Everybody can make a great tree once or twice in their career, right? Yeah. Where somebody's like, wow, that was a really elevated state, the material, the artist connected. But to do it consistently... I think that's a that's something that that is not acknowledged enough about um, you know different artists prolific nature of quality and he had that. Uh, if if we if we have, will have a chance to visit the Pacific Bonsai Museum now, when I know uh, that there are some works of Nick, I, I definitely need to see them. It's something like uh, I don't know, like every bonsai enthusiast who wants to see kokufu or something once in their life Th- yeah. this will be my kokufu or i don't know <laughs> nice I, I love that i've i've been to your place finally that that was something what i was dreaming about and it happened mm-hmm. a year ago that was so great but this is something else again what that, that's a good goal for me <laughs> yeah thank yeah, you for I that like information it. i like it well and i think Aaron does such a good job of preserving uh, Nick's intention. And uh-huh. that's a tough thing about museums is is this notion of preservation when you have this growing, expanding tree. It's like, like you can't you can't hold it in that shape. But I think um I I really respect curators. I think Dave DeGroot was good at this. I think Ted Matson is good at this. Um and and Aaron uh-huh. especially has a, a talent of maintaining original intention with a lot of uh, a lot of those pieces and that's cool that's really neat to get to see it because it still holds although you never know what an artist is going to make in terms of a decision on a tree uh you know at least it holds the spirit of nick and the shape of those trees they've remained iconic i think yeah i also i question myself uh how is it to work with some iconic tree you know it will never happen to me but uh, still how does the artist who's uh, working on an iconic tree how does he feel uh, am i going to preserve this uh, original intentions uh, am i going to preserve them well or there's something happened to the tree in its uh, vigor and health uh, so I had to remove uh, some significant branch or something and change the whole composition and or I see something better in this tree so I recreate it and put a lot of myself in it and it's a good job and thanks to this artist that he restyled it like gave it a new style Mm-hmm. This must be something 
I, I cannot, I can't imagine it. I, I work just with my trees and sometimes I touch some few of my friends' trees, but that, that's all. But on this scale, I mean, these iconic trees, that must be something. Uh, and I, and I hope that just very good and uh, experienced artists get the chance to do this because sometimes, uh, sometimes it already happened that uh, some trees were just damaged by someone. And, uh, yeah, or 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 really the the spirit of the tree was kind of stripped from it. Like what made it special? It was homogenized with the shape of every other tree, made to look normal. You know, made to look less than exceptional, and that's like. Well, I, I watched Mr. Kimura restyle a lot of very famous national treasure trees and whatnot when I was apprenticing with him. And some of some of the work that he did was incredibly, and I think a lot of the work he did was incredibly controversial, but those pieces that had provenance prior to him touching them, if he made a decision to dramatically transform those trees, uh, it, it was a mixed bag in terms of a response from the bonsai community. I think in the Western world... There's whispers behind closed doors, but I don't think there's a community-wide sort of uh, unified expectation or level to which the preservation of aesthetics is considered. And I, I think that's mm. something that grows and evolves as, as a mm. bonsai culture matures a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see if that becomes a part of it over the course of time. Mm. Yeah. But I do think that's a very evolved. I think that's a very evolved awareness in in a in a bonsai culture or a bonsai community to understand when trees are of a significance that suddenly the suddenly the handling and the manipulation or the change of that aesthetic uh, is either positive, detrimental, necessary, or unnecessary. But the other mm. beautiful thing is the tree starts to act as a time capsule. You know, it's like mm. it's holding all of these different impressions and interpretations. And I think that also creates something very rich. Yeah. And it's like now which becomes more valuable, the tree having these pieces or or the tree, you know, carrying on that initial spirit. It's it's uh and I think that's where there's just no way to say right or wrong. But definitely there was a specific tree Mr. Kamara restyled called Kokuryu, which was uh, called the, the Black Dragon. And it uh -huh. was a black pine that had this upward flowing branch. Uh -huh. You know, it, it kind of came out and that upward branch is what made the tree. It gave it its uh -huh. stance. Uh, and Mr. Kamara made a significant effort and lowered it. And it became another black pine where all the branches dropped down from the canopy. It really homogenized the tree. And, um, and that, 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 particular piece of work was extremely controversial during during my apprenticeship but the, you know i don't know if you if you could have a conversation about this with uh, your master or uh, you didn't talk about this with him or yeah you know what happened when things like that would happen and, and again there were two or three times in the six years i was there i, I let's just mm -hmm acknowledge that he was working on iconic trees all day every day mm. for the six years i was there so for two or three times to have been particularly controversial is like he's still his batting average is beyond anything anybody else has yeah. achieved right like he 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 was very very good 
at finding, I think, that balance and the manipulation of a tree. Mm. But these moments where he, where the, maybe the soul of the tree and his vision for it as a community-wide expectation were different, um, he acknowledged it in his own way that potentially there was a miss, but it typically came from trying to explain his thought process to, yeah. to, to maybe justify the decision. I think to some degree in his own way, that was probably working through whether he himself felt like he made the right decision or not. Yeah. The, you know? Yeah. Well, because yeah, he's the one who was responsible. So yeah. And the pressure, the pressure in Japan, because there's a history with these trees that's greater than the Western world is, is, mm. is significant. Mm. But I think, you're, you're starting to see like in the Alcabendas Museum with Luis Vallejo's trees or, or some of the Italian trees that were collected um, in the north, you know, up in Turin and outside of that region, uh, the python, the you know, the Sylvester's pine hmm. and some of those um, Gianotti trees. I don't know. Did you know the collector Gianotti? Ah, uh, Gianotti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gianotti, yeah. I mean the the Buddha that that exists Buddha, with Mara yeah. with Mara Stimberger is a Gianotti tree, right? Yeah. Uh, those those trees iconic. His his collected material is is iconic, mm. um, and those it's nice to see some of those continuing to progress. I think David um, Benevente's Benevent. cascading Scots pine yeah. is another one of those European trees that's really got yeah. quite a provenance established around it now so mm. it's it's cool to see that stuff and it will be interesting to see what happens in europe as as these works continue to either you know pass through different hands or continue to mature because there's going to have to be the same decisions yeah. being made on these iconic pieces over the course of time yeah luckily we have still some few dozens of years to watch it <laughs> yeah yeah that's right yeah time will tell moving forward time will tell yeah, it's well, a lot of pressure though i i have a pine uh that i collected in 94 that's maybe the year when you started as you said you were 12 at the time or something yeah, yeah i was already exactly i was already four years in bonsai and i still have this pine from 94 and uh Okay, no one knows the tree. It's significant just in my collection, of course. I think uh, not many people will recognize it as something special if I put it in the trophy in Belgium or something, but it's one of my best trees. And, you know, this will be the 27th season in my garden already. Wow. And uh, you can see what what happened to the tree no one remembers the tree as i do when i collected it i i remember exactly the day when i collected it and uh i remember how many branches i kept around the base uh, for so many years and uh, the first significant changes to the tree the first workshop with otmar auer what that did to the tree and the later decisions uh like five years ago, I did also something to the cascading branch. And, and now you can, you were already talking about it, uh, that you can, it's, everything is still there after all those years. And uh, it's just wonderful to watch it. Uh, all those 27 years uh, in the tree. And 
Yeah, that that's as you said, that's rich, and that's why I I love it so much. And maybe the other uh, uh, the other moment when you said that's rich, uh, when we were talking about firing my pottery, yeah, the, the, it's that there's something similar in bonsai and bonsai pottery because. Uh, of these rich moments, and uh, maybe that's what—that's why I'm so uh, not just attracted. Why I'm so deeply in passion with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. It's—it's it's just my whole life. I can say, uh, yeah, these complicated things that uh, you have to know uh, a lot from uh, so many different. Um, categories or um, so many different types of knowledge and uh, and then you just put it all together and you still you can never be sure that uh, you're doing it just well or yeah I really can't express this <laughs> but but I'm doing it no but I think but it's for my job but 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 oh. that's true, right? Like, what? It, how do you know if you're doing it well? How do you know yeah. if you're doing it t- to your best? How do you know if it's like there's really no there's really no metric? I, I but I think this is why. Listen, engaging in a medium that is doing more work than we are, you know, with trees because they're growing, they're feeding themselves, they're evolving. Mm in their own specific way for their own specific survival. And we keep kind of nudging them and pushing them and, you know, trimming them. And like we continue to kind of like, it's like, um, I think about like, like bumper cars, you know, just like kind of bouncing off each other. I think there's, there's big crashes or major changes, you know, and then there's kind of these slight misdirections and redirections in the course of our existence together. Um, it, it, it it's very impressive. It's very intimate as well. I think the relationship over the course of time that evolves. Mm. The big question I'm I'm asking myself now in that relationship though is like, when do you choose to reset the course of that relationship? You know, because you mm. can get into, you can get into a position of settling into the shape of a tree, settling into its growth habit, settling into its its mm-hmm. sort of accepted. It's accepted aesthetic and perpetuating that. I, I really th- feel like that's where in Japan, especially now, there is a much more uh, settled in, accepted approach. Like this is the shape of the tree and this is what wow. we're going to accept it as. But like when Mr. Kimura, uh, when Kunio Kobayashi, uh, when the Daijuin Garden and the Suzuki's, when you had that kind of golden, like pre-bubble era of bonsai post-World War II in Japan, a lot of those trees were overgrown post-World War II, the ones that survived, you know, and the technique and the concepts of artistry and design were evolving with probably a lot of foreign influence in Japan and modernization of aesthetics and techniques and technology. Uh, And that, that moment, in that moment, there there was a real exploration, I think, 
for the aesthetic? What is the aesthetic? What are, what are, how do we take these trees and evolve them? How do they meet the next generation or the next era of Japanese culture? And, and I think you saw that in Europe. There have been some real prominent pockets of evolution mm. in Europe. The early 2000s were like, yeah. right? Yeah. That, was a, that was a real moment. And then I think you had the, the, uh, the stopping of the Ginkgo Awards uh -huh. And you had a, a period of stagnation, and then boom, you had the trophy take on, on that uh -huh. next real significant connotation, and boom, European bone size skyrocketed again. Yeah. Those, and, and inside of that, like all these famous trees or all of this motivation or, or the, you know, like the energy that's driving creativity in the system changes and shifts in those moments. And mm -hmm. then you kind of ride the influence of that for a while, you know? Mm -hmm. But, uh, that ebb and flow, these peaks and valleys and, and high points and low points, um, really rapid and, and high levels of evolution versus like settled in, mm. massaging of that approach and maybe even slight stagnation mm. uh, or complacency of that approach before the next phase. I, it feels to me like this is common in an individual. It's common in a community. It's yep. common in a country. It's common in an art form as a, as a practice in general. Yeah, you know, all all the time when you were talking this story, I I, I thought you were going into to this conclusion. Like, uh, I I just wanted to step in and said it, it's and say that it's just like life. You know, you have your ups and downs. Uh, you know, most people enjoy uh, when there's this evolution, like things are changing. Of course, there are a lot of people who are very uh, uh, fine uh, with stagnant and uh, very conservative things that will never change again. Uh, I'm a little bit of both, uh, or every one of us is a mixture of both of these attitudes. But, you know, sometimes you you meet with a guy who uh, who sees, even in bonsai, he this, like, makes me say, uh, terminal attitude like i do this and that's it it's terminal and i always wonder like hey you know we are talking about bonsai <laughs> now right <laughs> about what will i do with bonsai in 10 years and you still show these uh things like we have to do it like that because uh we have this one try and we we have and yeah and we go to some terminal point, and I said, "No, no, you, you, you are just very welcome to change your mind later. And uh, okay, you will not change the tree immediately. You will wait uh, another season or something. But uh, and then you come uh, to the perspective of, of each one's life again. That uh, what you want to plan as your terminal thing, you." you 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 can change uh, a lot of your opinions tomorrow and uh, like you you learn something new or or you just stumble upon something what uh, change changes your point of view so much that it really changes your life and personality as well so yeah i i got maybe too far from <laughs> what you were no no that's uh, explaining beautiful. but but that's beautiful. You know, you know what you made me think of as you were talking about that, because now, uh, you know, I you you thought about uh, life, and and then I started thinking about 
life as a as a bonsai practitioner or a ceramicist is um the decision like when do you when do you pass your trees down you know like we were talking about nick Lins and nick has moved a lot of his trees on and consequently those trees mm-hmm. are still alive mm-hmm. you know and not to say he couldn't take care of them but he reached a point where that wasn't going to be his priority or or something was shifting and he he put those trees in good hands uh-huh. um and I, I i think about that as i've been coming to the trophy and engaging with european bonsai over the past several years watching the rise of the Alcobendas Museum in Madrid and Mario Comsta as a bonsai artist, practitioner, and curator of that collection. I don't I don't know what's happening in the pandemic with it or if or if things have changed, but uh-huh. but but um one of the consistencies that has been sort of discussed and verbalized to me from the European community is how much they respect Luis Vallejo mm. for sort of having done everything because he was an established prominent European pioneer of bonsai. I mean, the collected tree and his work as a artist himself was significant. Mm. And then reaching this point where he's fought both fostering, supporting, facilitating, as well as passing the torch to the next generation in his Mm. trees, as well as in the curation of his trees is something that you don't, this isn't often seen in bonsai culture. It's not often seen in bonsai culture in the West for sure. And even in, mm. even in Japan, like who's Mr. Kimura going to pass his trees to? Um, how, what's that? You know, he has, there's a lineage of apprentices in these gardens and whatnot. But um, I, I really, I really appreciated the fact that the European bonsai community, at least the really dedicated individuals recognize how special it is the way that Louise has handled the transition of his career. And that that's been influential just in the awareness that there are so many ways to go about this, but what a beautiful continuation when you have dedicated to trees for so long Mm -hmm. to put them in the hands of the next generation when the trees are still in good health and still on the, uh, on the, you know, incline of improvement, you know, not before they get unhealthy and they lose half their branches or, or there's a catastrophic shift putting them in the right hands and continuing the process uh, when they're still rocking and rolling and you can yeah. keep moving forward. That's, that's an enlightened, that's an enlightened perspective. Yeah. This is like you, you described what I'm going to do one day. I, I have uh, way too many trees. Uh, uh, it's just crazy amount of trees I have. And I'm sure I will keep just a little portion of them uh, forever. And uh but the others, why are all of them still there? Because I want to have some work done with them. What I, I just want to make my plans come true with, with these trees. And once this is done, I will pass them on for sure. Because yeah, I, I, I want to keep it on low scale in future with my trees. Ah, low scale. Uh, that that's maybe nice words, but it will never come true because when I pass down some uh, trees, I will always start something new. Because if I how many trees how many trees do you have, Tom? Hundreds, hundreds. I don't know how many. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, every year I I also do lots of uh, new seedlings, cuttings, earliers. Uh, you know, if you have a juniper that needs some larger portion cut i never cut it i always earlier it and even though i have way too many junipers already and i'm I'm just i don't know 
I'm an idiot <laughs> in this because uh, I hardly I hardly can manage all all these trees, and uh, I see that uh, yeah, you know, it's always question of quality and quantity, and uh, but I can't help myself, you know. Even in my garden, there are so many trees that need to go out, but I can't just come and cut them. Yeah, I, I need to dig them out, and luckily I have uh, some good friends who take some trees for free from me because <laughs> they're probably quite happy to. <laughs> yeah, doing uh, you a favor, you do, you're doing them a huge favor. You know, there's there's uh, there's one uh, oak in my garden. I'm sure it's a crossbreed of uh, Quercus uh, freineto. It's called Hungarian oak in Europe, I think, mm. and it must have been uh, crossbreed with something. And uh, one of the seedlings I collected like twenty years ago. Now, for three or th two seasons, uh, it already produces some acorns. So, what did I do? I just collect them and seed them all because. <laughs> It's just wonderful <laughs> genetics. It's not just another common oak, but it's a special one. Uh, I will always find an excuse to <laughs> to break yeah. something. But I don't know why do I do it all again and again and again because I said I have way too many trees. And, <laughs> and here we go. Let's make some yeah. more. That's the bug. <laughs> yeah. No, but you know what else is beautiful about this? My very, my very first teacher, Harold Sasaki. He had this the same conversation. He had a limited amount of space, uh, but he was just so incredibly enthusiastic and in love with bonsai. And his big thing was grafting. So he would have seedlings. He would be cultivating mother stock to propagate, you know, scions from. And he was grafting constantly grafting 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 and he's like i don't know what i'm going to do with it all i don't have the space for any more but grafting is what makes me happy and when i hear you talk about like propagation for you giving rise to new trees new you know yeah. this is your this is your passion it would be amazing it would be amazing to find a way for that to work for you cuz i'm sure there's people out there that would love mm. for you to propagate for them tom in addition to making uh, the most cutting-edge ceramics and bonsai, you could start a plant propagation company. <laughs> I, I was thinking about starting a, a special, uh, uh, you know, how is this called? These old, uh, th these buildings uh, for the old retired people who need. Uh, oh, nursing homes. Yeah, nursing homes. Uh huh. Uh, or you know. There were even some special nursing homes for the uh, soldier veterans, right? Or something like that, right? And I would like to translate this from Czech language, but and it sound because it sounded so well in Czech language that I, I just wanted to open a yeah, let's say garden for retired trees, mm -hmm. like the trees or bushes that uh, could. Uh, never more uh, stand on their original places in some gardens or parks or in the uh, big pots in uh, in the town center or something. I would like to 
help all these plants to survive, not just <laughs> be disposed to to some place uh, where they just dry out in two days or something. It's uh, it, I, would, I, love, I would love I to love. do that, but but uh, you know, I don't have time for everything. I also besides uh, pottery and bonsai, I also have my band. I I like to play with my friends and i i would like to accommodate so many things into my life but it's just not possible <laughs> it's yeah crazy choices yeah time, yeah time the passion that you have for perpetuating the life of plants is admirable i feel it for bonsai trees i definitely feel it for uh longer lived beings you know like when you think about bonsai trees and human beings like Ultimately, I feel like if we're pursuing bonsai correctly, that we are just a moment in this tree's life. That's the hope, yeah. right? That we're that yeah. we're an intermediary, and I think that really changes the notion of ownership as well. And this mm -hmm. this is something you know, as Mariah was uh, recently vandalized, and and mm -hmm. some trees were destroyed, trees that were significant trees, mm -hmm. and and uh, trees that I think contributed to. Um, you know, an aesthetic of the species in in mm. in bonsai in the United States. Not saying like everybody needed to revere my thought of these trees. It was the tree itself that had so much character and power mm. to add to you know our impression of of what that species is capable of in bonsai in the United States. And 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 having them vandalized was like um, you know it forever changed them, killed some of them, unfortunately, wow. and. And and when you look at that, it's like, well, it's not just uh it's not just a, a monetary discussion and it's not just like a, a an ownership discussion. It's really a loss of something significant for for the community because mm -hmm. because I would hope that those trees will carry on, you know, and exist mm -hmm. after me. That's the goal. And that's like coming yeah. back to the Luis Vallejo discussion and doing so mm -hmm. in a proactive manner and um Ann Spencer who was a wonderful bonsai practitioner in Portland, uh, passed her trees on to, uh, capable individuals while she was still well. And, um, it, it's just, yeah, that, that really, it, it came full circle to me when I saw those trees damaged beyond repair. And then suddenly it's like this, this tree doesn't get to now contribute, uh, in the way that it had the capacity to, you know? And so it, from ownership to stewardship, I guess that was like the final straw that broke the camel's back of how I, perceive my um role in the stewarding of the trees at mariah until mm. until it's time to pass them on yeah that was a real bummer mm. when you wrote me about this in the christmas time i you know it just comes back to me again because you know I, i'm i'm very sensitive to things like this and uh i i don't know how how heartbreaking how much it was for you i just can imagine from my own feelings because this is something absolutely terrible to me uh, uh i feel so bad now just coming back to it uh it, it just comes back to my heart yeah. and that's yeah. I, I i just don't understand uh, the people taking actions like these i i can't imagine what kind of people is it uh, you know you know okay okay break into my house or crash my car or something but why would you why would you kill these trees i, I yeah. just don't get it uh, yeah that was that was that was a tough one for me too 
I, I honestly, you know, my house, uh, my house is completely destroyed. Mm. Uh, it's still standing, but the entire interior of the house is gone. Like, uh, all the way down the kitchen, the floors, the, the most of the walls, uh, are damaged. So, but that's fine. You know, like I was, I'm okay with that. That can be rebuilt. It's, um, Mm. it's material items. Obviously some things are sentimental, but not, not to the degree that it really matters. Yeah. But the trees, the trees was a different story because, because Mm. you don't get that back. You don't get that. And, and, and and the trees are several hundred years old and, and it, 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 it does refresh the conversation for me of, of what is, what does it mean to, you know, and, and, and where, where do I orient in the conversation of bonsai as a commodity uh, or monetary object versus bonsai as, as a more deeper sort of connection to a living being. Yeah. Um, and def- definitely, uh, I never had any doubt about my connection to bonsai as living beings, uh, but that certainly solidified that the the, the material things mm. mean very little mean very little to me. The impact mm. was 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 seeing the trees damaged, and again, not because they were mine, but because those trees uh, now 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 they don't yeah. have the ability to carry on. You know. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a weird, uh, weird deal. in this in this uh, few last minutes, you also. Uh, showed nice uh, point of view to this thing and it reminded me you know okay the it, it's a loss for the community <laughs> that that, uh, that those were the words uh i had this feeling when uh when these when some of these beautiful pots uh, were lost especially in the second firing i said wow what what a shame you know uh, Okay, these were even the prototypes, the very first pieces in their new designs. But then again, uh, how many pieces like these I'm going to make in my whole career? How many times I come back uh, to this design and make it in such a large uh, dimension? And uh, will I ever? Because... uh, I always work on something new and uh, I don't have time to come back to uh, older designs and make them. Uh, yeah, I do it, but not so frequently. And uh, I had this feeling that I don't want these spots be lost. And that's why I really have to thank you that you that you accepted them and that you that you take them even with uh, some feet broken off and mm. and stuff like that uh, and and use them because uh, i know it's crazy to talk like this uh, about pots it's not trees and uh, it's my own work but i must honestly say that i had this feeling that it's a loss for the community <laughs> yeah and yes. I honestly, I must say that I'm I'm just very, 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 very much thankful to you that uh, you you just take these spots and and even. Uh, it's 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 my pleasure. My feeling, Tom, is uh, is it is a loss to the community for your work to not and for these shapes to not be presented and utilized uh, in ways that people get to see because. Mm. 
it's not a it's not uh the work that you make is not a standard rectangle or oval although mm. you obviously do have the capacity and do make traditional shapes the work that you're making is is adding to the evolution of the concept of bonsai in design and art and uh and the continued role of the ceramic body with these trees that is in deep exploration right now uh and so for those pots to not see the light of day it is a loss to the community and that's where i just felt like listen Ron Lang, the best pot Ron Lang has ever made for me is cracked right down the back of the pot. It cracked in the firing and he was devastated. And I just said, no, you gotta, you gotta send it, you know, we're going to patch this thing and we're going to use it. Yeah. Uh, the perfection is, is so fleeting and so tough to obtain, mm -hmm. but imperfections are, are a commonality, you know, for yeah. these things to get used is the priority. That's my, that's my feeling, uh, mm -hmm. thoroughly and fully. Is we got we got to put them out there because your work is just that it's so powerful it's very very moving. I, I I love people for repairing old pots so much and now it's fresh new pots that need to be repaired. But uh, I I just love people doing that. Uh, okay, some some would say that why would you care and and base some of your feelings on just material things? But this is. This is the attitude of the people around it, and, uh, and yeah, it it makes me feel so so good about humanity. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, you know, it would be it would be different if I if I was the type of a potter who has the potter wheel and is capable of making dozens of uh, pot bodies every day, but some of these pots take even three or four days just to make the raw body and it's yeah. still not the end of the process and uh, so that's why my production is also quite low in comparison to other potters uh, and uh, and losing these pots then is really painful so now with with this experience and with your attitude to it um, I'm it made the world a little happier place again. <laughs> oh, don't ever throw, don't ever throw your pots away, Tom. <laughs> Mariah will take them, all of them. We love all your pots. No, I'm really excited for this shipment. I, I, uh, when you sent the album and the pictures, I was just like, oh my gosh. Uh, and I know how devastating it was for you when the when there were some uh, imperfections. But yeah, no, I appreciate you trusting it with us, and I feel like too. Uh, that is a real relationship of trust for you to send imperfect pots to Mirai and and feel you know comfortable with that. Like I don't look past the fact that like you, 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 uh, it feels to me anyways like you trust the way we work with your pots and your work and um, and the way that we value your work um, and certainly it, it's occupying a greater proportion of the of the ceramic vessels that our trees are sitting in in the garden now which is uh which is awesome to get to see the work continue to evolve a lot of our prominent trees sit in tom Benda containers and this next shipment uh is is primarily going to be a mirai shipment because we'll be using you know these pieces um and I'm, I'm super excited so i just appreciate the trust and the confidence you have in us too it means a lot yeah it's 
quite interesting to hear it from this perspective for for me i already said for me it, it was just a big relief that we could talk about these crackpots you know because it it meant so much pain in the beginning to me i i was so ashamed to start the conversation about it but knowing you and uh, troy uh yeah made me talk about it in the end and we came to this and now we talk further about it and it makes me feel so soft <laughs> or so yeah I, mm. if we if we continue talking about this i will maybe start crying even or something. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough Fair enough. I'm I'm uh, I'm excited to open it. I'm excited to receive it. I'm excited to get to see your work. And um, I think we should circle back after. I think we should circle back after I've opened the box and have another little conversation about some of the shapes because I would really like to. I would really like to hear your thought process and kind of like what you did when you were here at Mariah and we opened up that shipment. Um, I, I would love I would love to to know your thoughts on the on the pots. Is that something that you'd be interested in? Yeah, I was just going to ask you about this uh, if we could do it because I'm very much interested in uh, your opinion on this new pots or opinion. Uh, I wanted to ask you which pot you like the most from this uh, shipment, or which pot do you think that I love the most? Ooh, uh, ooh, I like that. That's what I uh, wanted to uh, to ask you after you opened the box. So, <laughs> yeah, with your offer, I I just have to agree. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Outstanding, outstanding. Yeah, and I think what I, what I ultimately let me just uh, divulge what I'm thinking is I think ultimately it would be wonderful to uh, to be able to film the the ceramics in a real beautiful way and have and have some of your opinions about the pots integrated into that so people can see these pieces and we can you know we can do justice to the work so anyways i believe I, uh, the pot that uh, i have in my mind the one that you have to find in the shipment <laughs> the, there is something maybe it it will uh yeah, it is an outstanding new design. I think uh, it it's really popping out uh, a bit. Uh, so maybe you, you find it easily. But there are lots of new designs. So maybe you will you will uh, guess uh, it's another one than the one I have in my mind. And yeah, I'm really curious about this. But I'm definitely sure that even the pot that I have in my mind will be uh, in this. Uh, videos uh, and i will comment on it yeah sure. <laughs> i mean well so you sent me the you sent me the album of all the yeah. images i looked at it one time very quickly i said yes brilliant uh you know i'm in uh and then i haven't looked at it again because because what i saw i thought when i see this in person it's going to be even more spectacular and i have very a very cloudy recollection of what they look like so it is going to be like opening it up not really knowing what is in there and i'm excited i'm really excited for that for for anybody who hasn't seen the unboxing of tom's work that's on mirai live check it out uh, because it's amazing but getting to unbox 
one of your bodies of work is one of the more special things I get to do as a, as, as a bonsai professional at Mirai. It's pretty spectacular and a little overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember it from my visit in uh, Mirai when I opened the box, unloaded it, and then you came and saw it all in one time in one place. And I just had to sit down. I just yeah. sat down. I couldn't. <laughs> I was just like, I got to sit down for a minute. This is crazy. Yeah, That's it's... crazy. Cool. When you think about it, you know, all the energy that you put in over the course of the time that you made that body of work and all of a sudden it's just all there, the finished product of the energy of the creation and the clay and the and the drying and the bisque and the glaze or the uh, bisque and the wood firing, like the packaging, the shipping, the unpacking, it was all there just right in front of me. And it, it was it was a little overwhelming. It was actually quite overwhelming. Your, your pot's carrying energy, sir. Tom, it's so good to get to talk to you, man. I miss you. I'm glad you're on the up and up. I got to get uh, little man fed for lunch and keep on rocking with my day. But uh, I'll let you know when the pots arrive, how they arrive, and then uh, I would love to circle back. Let's talk again uh, within the next couple weeks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That will be great. Yeah. Outstanding. It was nice to see you. Um, I was missing you. <laughs> yeah, Especially. definitely. Oh, okay. <laughs> I will not. Uh, I was about to say that, especially after the crazy stuff that happened to you and your garden, uh, yeah. I, I, I couldn't help myself. I was thinking about it like three or four days, and I just wanted to be there and and hug you. And maybe I must say that this this was uh, maybe even more about me <laughs> than. Then helping you, I, I just felt so much that I wanted to hug you for my feelings. <laughs> I don't, so I'm, selfish, I'm a, so selfish in that moment. But, oh, I, I'm open. I'm open and I'm open for hugs, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a tough, it's been a tough. Uh, you know what it was? It was 2020. It was 2020's last uh, insult. And uh, it was a doozy, but uh, 2021, I'm full of optimism. I, I, I really I really think the next decade at Mirai is going to be spectacular. There are so many wonderful sure. people. Yeah, there's so many wonderful people. I mean, look at, you know, uh, yourself and Jan and the relationship that, that we have, uh, the students at Mirai. It's, it's going to be great. So it's like, if that's 2020, if that's what you want to leave me with, you know, honestly... Yeah. Uh, fuck you, and I'm gonna keep moving forward, and and that's kind of how I felt about the tail end of a challenging year for everybody. You know, the pandemic, life, kids, family, education, yeah. uh, all, all all the stuff. I, I mean, you know, let's just let's just move on. Yeah, people people have to remember that uh, we we really need to stay optimistic in yeah. any situation. You know. If we if we took uh, if we take this to uh, an extreme, if if we were not uh, optimistic, we will be still apes in the crowns of trees. So yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Getting it's uh, easier said than done, but something to aspire to. I know. I know. <laughs> hey Tom, I love okay. you, man. I'll uh, let's circle back in a couple weeks. I'm excited to open up your box, and uh, again, it's good to talk to you, my friend. Yeah, and in a few weeks, maybe I will already tell you about some new pots coming. Yes. Again, I'm, I'm really yes. planning on a, a second batch now. 
outstanding oh i'm excited <laughs> i'm excited okay All right, so man. Well, that means in other words it's the great future we were just talking about <laughs> the the never-ending mirai the never-ending mirai uh i'm gonna talk to you again soon i can't wait okay. to open the box all right you okay. take care stay safe all right yeah okay all right, take care bye bye